So like Fred said, as they're leaving, I'll just introduce myself a little bit. Um, I'm Matt Sloan. I, do, I live here in, in Asheville and have for a while. I'm uh, excited to talk with y'all for the next hour about... I'm just kidding. Just a little joke started off there. I, don't, I can't listen to anyone for an hour. So uh, I am excited to be here, uh, to be here with y'all. My uh, wife, Leslie, and my son... Asher and my daughter Lucy, both middle schoolers now. We're members of this church, and um, we have lived here in Asheville since 2001. Um, not Asher and Lucy; they're not that old, but they came later. And we've been here in Asheville since Asheville since 2001. I do work for Young Life. You may not know what that is. Um, Young Life is a uh, local missionary organization. We go out, instead of building houses, we build relationships with teenagers, with high school kids and middle school kids. And we try to earn the right to be heard in their lives so that it might win us a hearing for the gospel. Quite a privilege. Quite a privilege. Been doing that since 2001. And it's wonderful. I can't wait to tell you more about it. If you want to know more about it, like Fred said, there'll be some stuff out there uh, later on that you can look at after the service. But it's quite a privilege to be able to deliver the gospel to high school and middle school kids, the lost and disinterested. We go on their turf, where they are, at the schools, at the games, all of that. That's where the Young Life volunteers uh, go and build relationships. Such a privilege to get to do uh, with them. Um, before I moved to Asheville, uh, I lived in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I lived there for, for 25 years uh, before I moved up here. I moved up here chasing Leslie, actually, and, and before we were married. And, um, but I lived in Columbia for 25 years. Um, you know, when I was a kid, um, I had one main goal. Like, if you knew me as a kid, I kind of had one main goal. You may have known this if you were close to me, but like, I loved attention. Like, I loved fame. I wanted glory. Like, I loved attention. Those that know me well now know I still, I still like that a lot. But growing up, I, I loved fame. Um, I loved glory. And I kind of had my heart set. It was something I kind of, like, just wanted. I don't know where it came from. I just know that I, like, wanted it. You know, I just wanted people to notice me. I wanted to make it to the big time. One way that I thought I was going to do that, I was a basketball player uh, growing up. but did, did pretty well uh, as a kid. And um, I uh, thought that I may one day make it to the NBA. Um, I, in my head, I thought that. Um, I, had my, I had my hopes set on it. You know, I grew up, grew up watching Jordan and Bird and Magic and all that. I mean, I, that's, who I wanted, that's who I wanted to be. That's what I wanted to do. And I played basketball all of the time. And I had big hopes to make it to the NBA. Up until um, about the time I was on the varsity basketball team at my high school. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, sat, I sat on the bench always. <laughs> that was my position. My position was the bench. Okay. Um, and I, I don't know what happened. I was so good up until then. But uh, I just... I just knew where I was going, you know, and, and uh, I still, but so, even then, I still kind of thought, he's going to put me in, he's going to see his mistake. Until one day at a halftime speech, our coach, um, we were losing, and the coach was yelling at the starters, 
firing them up, trying to get them to play harder. Then he started turning his attention to the bench. He's like, I need to hear more from the bench, you know? I need to hear more cheering. I need to hear more encouragement. Like Sloan, like what, like what Sloan does. You know what? Sloan's going to be the bench captain. Sloan's the bench captain. Why would, you do, why would you say that out loud, man? Like, I, I already know I'm not going in, but that's when I knew it's over. I'm, I'm the bench captain. So those dreams, those dreams were over. I knew that no glory was coming that way. One, th- one thing, another thing that was part of my childhood was television. Uh, and years later, my moment for glory now might have come to fruition. You know, we were living here in Asheville. My mom was up here visiting us. Uh, visiting me and Leslie, my, my mom and dad. And she fell, she actually fell down our stairs when she was going downstairs and broke her ankle real bad. It was real sad. She got to get surgery, the whole thing. So she was kind of down. Leslie and I were trying to figure out how to cheer her up. And so uh, Leslie got online and she looked up um, a certain game show that we watched when we were kids. I watched a lot of game shows, but she looked up a certain game. <laughs> A certain game show that we watched when we were kids, a little show called The Family Feud. Anybody ever seen that show? Yeah, Family Feud. Maybe not. But she looked up, where are the tryouts for The Family Feud? <laughs> Maybe if we go try out for the show, my mom will get cheered up. Found out they were in Charleston, South Carolina. So we were like, let's just do it. So Leslie and me and my mom, my sister and her husband go down to Charleston and we try out for The Family Feud just for funsies, just to see what it was like, Right? And so we go through, we're in, this, we're in this like big ballroom, we're trying out against all these other families. The guy comes up at the very end, hands a sheet of paper and says, you've made it to the next round. What? We've made it to the next round. Okay, we go to the next, we go to the next round, we try out, we get done with that. They say, you may hear something from us in the mail if you've made it. And uh, that's all they told us and we left. And we were like, no matter what, that was pretty fun. We got to try out for the family feud, right? I mean, it was real fun, whatever. Months pass, Leslie walks in from the mail one day and says, It's a letter from the Family Feud. We crack that puppy open, and it says, you've made it onto the Family Feud. I don't know how it happened, but all my dreams were coming true. (laughs) Glory was going to be mine. I watched that show, and I can crush that show. All my life, I could crush it. I knew it was going to be good. So we go. They put me fifth down in line because I'm an abstract thinker. I can come up with the weird stuff, right? They put me fifth in line, and we're playing. We go down there. We get on the show. Steve Harvey, the works. I mean, I'm shaking Steve Harvey's hand. I know the cameras are on me, and I'm loving it, right? (laughs) Okay? I'm loving it. I'm nervous, and I'm loving it. We're going on. We're crushing this team. We're crushing this team. We're going to win. But then they start to make a comeback. They win round three. They win round four. I don't know if you know this, but in Family Feud, that means you go to sudden death. That means the fifth person in line goes against the fifth person in the other line. Yours truly. It was my time. It was time. I was going to like the sudden death round of Family Feud. It was unbelievable. And I was going against a guy who earlier in the show, when asked the question, what's a three-letter word that kids play with? He had said the word bike. So (laughs) I was feeling real good. I was feeling really good. So I go up right there, sudden death, we're right up there, put our hands up there, time to shine, baby. I brought you a clip, here it is right here. Nobody reached 300 points, so we're gonna play sudden death. Give me that, give me that. There he is, a lot of beard. Gentlemen, here we go. For this survey, we're asking for the top answer only, whoever, 
gets this one answer. Will win the game. Here we go. Name an occasion when you wouldn't want the cake delivered late. Birthday. Birthday. Bob. Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, they got it. Now turn that off. Turn that off. Turn that off. Turn that off. It's fine. It's fine. That was my moment to shine right there. Everything that I've been waiting for, my whole glory, national television, everybody's watching. I knew it was going to be great. And I choked. I don't know how it happened, but I choked. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't, be- I couldn't believe it. Thank you. I'm a little parched. And I choked. Everything that I'd hoped for, gosh, just didn't come true. You know, it didn't, it didn't turn out quite like I hoped it would turn out there on the family feud. I thought it was going to be one way. I thought I was going to be one way, and it was going to feel great, but it didn't turn out quite like I'd hoped. I think uh, that not only the family feud, but a lot of things in our lives are that way. I know a lot of things in my life were that way growing up and sometimes feel that way even now. We kind of have our hearts set on uh, this thing. I don't know what it is for you. For me, it was fame. I, I wanted people to know who I was. And then it kind of changed to I wanted, a, I wanted that certain girlfriend, you know, or uh, maybe, maybe like me, you've, you've, you wanted that certain spouse or that certain job or you wanted to make that certain team or make that certain grade or had your hopes set on. Maybe it's even bigger than that. Maybe you wanted a relationship to be mended. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with a friend. We have our hearts set on these things that like, gosh, if we just got those things, then like life would be good. Like I know life would be good if I just had that thing in my life. And my my things kind of changed for me growing up, what my heart was set on. And maybe you've never gotten those things, or maybe you have gotten those things. Whatever it is that your heart is set on, your hopes are pinned on, Maybe you have gotten those things and you've realized, ah, that wasn't it. There's something still missing. You know, there's a reason things feel that way, that something's still missing. I get the privilege in the summer of going to camps with high school kids and presenting to them the gospel, the love of Jesus. And what we get to tell them is we are holding, and the same is true for me, the same is true for you. We're holding so tightly to the things in our lives, trying to like squeeze the life out of the things around us, out of situations around us. But there's just no life in this world. There's no fulfillment. There's no satisfaction in this world because we're trying to squeeze the life, find life out of this world. But you and I were not made to be fulfilled by this world. We weren't. There's a God who is after you. This God who made you, God made you to be in relationship with him. This is what he made you for. This is what he made me for, to be in a relationship with him. To know that he loves us, we get to love him. To know that he knows us and we get to know him. Like, this is what he made us for. And so much of our lives, I think, are spent trying to find life and work it out and figure it out on our own. That's not what we were made for. We were made for him. We were made for him. 
He wanted us to know that he made us like this and knew that it was hard for us to remember so much so. And many of you have heard this story and even know this personally, that he didn't want to just leave us alone trying to pull life out of this world when there's nothing to be had. But he wrapped, God wrapped all of himself in skin and was born into our world as Jesus. His name was Jesus. And he did that so that me and you can know him personally. Not only can know him personally, but we get to know him personally. We need to know him personally. There is no life outside of knowing him. This is what we were made for. The creator of life created us to be in relationship with him. God wrapped himself in skin and came into our world as Jesus. That's who Jesus is. God with skin on. As we say to the high school friends sometimes, God in the bod. That's who he is. Jesus is God with skin on. If that is true, and if his desire is to know me and you like this, this is how he's made, this is his desire. If you get to know Jesus, you get to know exactly who God is. You get to know he's the exact representation of his being. If you get to know him, you get to know exactly what he's like. Like, know God. You get to know him? Is that even possible? Well, when Jesus was born and grew up, he uh, had these friends that he hung out with. All these stories are written down in the Bible, and many of you know them. But Jesus had these friends that he hung out with, these 12 dudes. They called them the disciples or his followers. There were 12 guys that he was tight with. God with skin on was close with these guys. He was tight with these 12 guys. And these were normal guys. These weren't like super righteous guys. By the way, the ones that get to hang out with God are not like the super righteous ones who have their lives together and are doing things the right way. But Jesus somehow seems to be drawn to the, the normal, the average. He's seen, these guys were fishermen, a lot of them. Some were businessmen. Some were fish. They were just guys. And he invited them to come follow him and learn who God is. Jesus just invited them. Some of them, literally, he invited them and said, hey, come follow me. And there was something so attractive about Jesus that they walked off their jobs. I'm talking about dropped it, walked off their jobs and started following him. God has come after me and you. And if we get to know this Jesus, we get to know exactly what God is like. These guys got to see Jesus do some crazy stuff. They got to hear him talk about how generous God was. They got to talk about when, when God pours, when God pours you something, like if he's putting your Starbucks into the coffee, pouring the coffee into the Starbucks thing, he's not trying to see what he can get away with giving you and then, oh, it looks full, and then kind of presses it down and serves you up a coffee. But he's packing everything he can into that puppy and pushing it down. He's pushing as much life into us as he possibly can. He's generous. He's not stingy. He's not trying to see what he can get away with to give you as little as possible. Just, you know, you got what you need. You get by. That's not what he's like. That's not the way Jesus talked about him. He stuffs it in. Everything he can, it's overflowing. They got to see God's generous heart. They got to see how gentle he was, how tender he was with these two ladies one time who lost their brother. And they came to him weeping. Instead of trying to fix them or say, hey, it's all in God's plan. 
He wept with them. He wept with them. God, might he weep with you? These disciples got a front row seat to see Jesus weep with the hurting. They got to see how joyful he was. They were at a wedding together. They were at a wedding together, and this guy ran out of wine at the wedding. The guy who was still in the party ran out of wine at the wedding. Jesus heard about it. And Jesus took this dirty foot water, and he turned that water into more wine. What? Jesus made wine? He, t- he brought more wine to the party. He was joyful. His heart was full. He loved for people to feel joyful. And the disciples got a front row seat for that. And then finally, they got to see how adventurous he was. If you read the stories of Jesus with, with his disciples, they fished. They were in boats all the time. Like, that's how they got back and forth. He just liked to be with his guys. He liked to be with the disciples. He wanted them to know him and wanted them to know that he knew them. Well, as time passed and these guys began to know Jesus personally, um, they... um, Jesus one time had, had just, we're going we're gonna to pick up here in Mark, in Mark chapter 6, sorry, verses 30 through 44. That's page 697 in the Bible that is in your pew right there if you want to follow along. Um, 697, I'm old school and like, the, uh, like to read out of there. There's also the Bible app I think you can go to. I don't know exactly how to do that. I think I even have the Bible app. I don't, I don't know how to use those very well. I'm a little bit old school. There's a Bible app, and somebody next to you can tell you how to access that and pull the scripture up if you want to. I can't for Just yell it. I don't know what to do right here. Um, but we're gonna. But when we pick up um, in Mark chapter six, verse thirty, Jesus had just sent these guys who had seen him do all this stuff. Had said, "Hey, it's your turn. I want you to go out and do some of the things you've seen me doing." So Jesus had sent them out to go do the very things that he was doing. These normal guys, Jesus had sent them out to do, and they had been out there doing that. And where we pick it up, the guys are just coming back after, after going out and doing these, healing the sick, all these amazing things they never thought they could do. They're coming back to tell Jesus about it. All the while, Jesus had just found out that his cousin had been killed. His cousin was John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a guy who was sent before Jesus to kind of prepare the way, to say the kingdom of heaven is near. And when Jesus came up, John, John was like, look, there's Jesus. That's the one. That's the one who's come to save the world. Like, that's why John was sent. That same John had just been beheaded for no reason because the king at a party had made a bad promise. And they just recently found out that John's head had been chopped off. So there was excitement from the, imagine the scene, excitement from the disciples. There was sorrow within Jesus. There was a lot going on. And per usual, there is a crowd around Jesus. Almost every time you see the guy, there is a crowd around him. There's something about him that is so attractive that when he did stuff or when he talked or when he was around, just his way, there was something people were hungry for. He had something that people wanted and crowds would follow him around. So where we join up, all that's going on. Uh, we're going to pick up reading right there. Chapter 6, verse 30. Here we go. 
The apostles, disciples, returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. I love, I'll stop right there. I love right there. He says that they, uh, they returned to Jesus. They told him all that they had done and taught. I don't know what your picture of God is, but mine uh, very often is not somebody who is sitting there while I'm talking, and he's going, and he's just listening to me. Like that, this is not normally my picture of him, that he would sit there and listen to me, tell me what's going on, tell me how it was, and that he would delight in what's going on in your heart. That's not very often or not for long had been my picture of who Jesus was. What would you be like if you got face-to-face with God? How would you react? How would you feel? When I was in college, I had a dream. I was kind of fading off to sleep. And I had this, like, fading off to sleep. You know those really weird dreams? I had, that, I had one of those fading off to sleep dreams where I imagined in my dream that, that Jesus, whatever my picture of him was, was walking in the door to my bedroom. I, I was kind of asleep, and then I kind of came to and I woke up. And when I woke up, I had had the covers over my head, and I was buried in the corner. I, don't, I know what the right answer is of how you're supposed to react. And I knew Jesus. I was a Christian then. I know what the right answer is of how I'm supposed to react if I was face-to-face with Jesus. But I think my body language told me, I think I would hide in shame. That must tell me that something in me thinks that he would be ashamed of me. But that is not the Jesus that we see in the Bible. That's not the Jesus we see in this story. It says, they returned and told him all that, they had, all that they had done and taught. He was excited to hear from them. God is excited to hear about you. Everything you're looking for is to know that he wants to sit down with you and look at you face to face and hear from you about you and know that he's listening. Amazing that that's what he would be like. You know, and then he goes on to say, uh, it says, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Anybody relate, anybody relate to that? So many people coming and going in your life that you have no almost leisure even to eat. I would say if you have children, you can relate to that. Um, I can, but not, not just those that have children. Like, there's people coming after us all of the time for our attention. There's, different, there's people coming out for our attention. There's advertisements coming. There's things coming at us nonstop. And that was the case for the disciples. There was people coming. They had seen what Jesus was doing. They may have heard what the disciples were doing. And people were coming and going. They had no leisure, no time to eat, no time to rest. And Jesus, knowing what was going on in their hearts and knowing what they needed best, said, come away for a little while, let's rest. If the disciples are anything like me, they've been kind of healing people a little bit. So they're feeling kind of like, I'm pretty awesome, <laughs> right? I mean, maybe not. They're the disciples. No, I bet you they were. I bet you they were fighting like, look, I did some pretty cool stuff, and the people kind of want me around right now. And Jesus was like, nope, let's go away. Let's go away. Let's go away to rest with me. So that's what they did. They took off. To go get some rest. Now, the disciples might have thought, oh, we're going to go get some rest. I don't know what your definition of rest is. Maybe it's um, the beach. You know, week at the beach. Ooh. Maybe that's what it is. 
Maybe it's just sleeping for a week, beach or not, or in the pew right here. If somebody will just leave you alone for a week, you could sleep right there. Maybe that's your definition of rest. But Jesus was inviting them to a rest that they weren't expecting. It wasn't a rest like a week at the beach. He was inviting them to rest for their souls. He was inviting them to follow him, to find rest for their souls. And what they found was amazing. Let's keep going here. Um, There we go. What verse are we at? 33. Um, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Let's take verse 33. Many saw them going and recognized them and ran their own foot from all the towns. So Jesus and his boys got in a boat and they took off to get some rest. The crowd saw where they were going and ran around the lake to the desolate place. I don't like to run anywhere. But these folks saw Jesus and his disciples going across this lake and they ran around the lake, not just to anywhere, it says to a desolate place, like a desert Bleak, I looked up synonyms for desolate, bleak, the desert. It was nowhere fun, and Jesus and them were going over there where there was nothing. But the people believed differently. There was a hungry crowd that was catching a glimpse of who God is. From those that were following him, the disciples, which might be many of you in here that are following him, they started to give away what they had received to those around them. The disciples were giving away what they received from Jesus to those around them, and people were starting to catch fire. They were starting to want it. They were starting to want what Jesus, who Jesus was. And the disciples of Jesus got in the boat, and those mugs ran all the way around the lake to a desert. Why would they do that? What would you run around a lake to a desert to? I don't know. The only thing I could think of in my life was when I was in high school, I camped out outside of a place called Sounds Familiar, a record store. Kids, ask your parents what that is. Outside of a record store, I camped out for a U2 concert. I didn't even like U2. It was just a cool thing to do. And so I I remember camping out for a U2 concert outside of a record store. That's the closest thing I can think of to what these people did. That was miserable, by the way. Concrete, Columbia, South Carolina, hot always. That's what that was. That's the closest thing I can think of to what these people were doing. They ran all the way around the lake. There must have been something about Jesus. And there must have been some desire in those people's hearts for more than what life was offering them already. There's something inside of us that is hungry for more than what this life is offering us on our own. It's because we were made to be in relationship with him. And they were hungry And so they ran around looking for him. Now, the disciples there had to be a little bit disappointed because they were going for rest with Jesus, right? And when they got to the other side of the shore, um, they saw that the whole crowd and other people from all the towns, it says, all the towns had run around and were like waiting on them at the shore. They were going for rest. They were tired. They were tired and they were hungry. Maybe a touch hangry 
if you will. Because at that point, they were very tired and they hadn't eaten. They were looking for rest. But when they got to the shore, there was a hungry crowd there. See, what Jesus was inviting them to was a different kind of rest than they thought. They thought, I'm about to, go to, I'm about to get to go to sleep for a while and recover. But what he was about to do was bring their souls to life because they had courtside seats for the great one. They had courtside seats to see the heart of the very one who had made them. And they were about to be amazed. He had compassion. Let me catch up. Yeah, when he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I love that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. You ever wonder what the heart of God is? It's not shame. He's not shaming you. He's not looking at you going, ah, I would love to, I would love to help you, but I know what you've done. Like, I know what you're doing. Your bad, all that bad stuff in your life, that stuff's stopping me from, from really loving you. Get rid of that stuff, and I'll love you. Get rid of that stuff, and things are going to be good. That's not what he says at all. That's impossible. Have you ever tried that? Do you ever try that still? Just as the crowd was, and just because they were hungry, Jesus met them and had compassion on them. What kind of heart does our God have? And he began to teach them. This next part is so funny to me. Oh, the disciples. Listen to these guys. Here we go. Verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, <laughs> uh, it grew late. His disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but I'm just putting myself in their place and they're hungry and they're tired. And now it's nighttime and Jesus has been teaching them all day and they've been sitting there watching and they've been amazed. That stomach started to grumble a little bit in them again. They start, the eyelids are getting heavy. They're like, so they start to give, they can start to give Jesus a little bit of advice. You know? You ever do that? You ever give God a little advice? Hey, you thought about doing things this way instead? You know, like we may know what's best or whatever. That's kind of what they did. They were just feeling like, they were hungry and tired, and they tried to mask it like they were caring for other people. I, lo- I think. I love that. Uh, but it's a desolate place. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. <laughs> uh, Jesus then invites them to the uncomfortable. See, when he initially said, let's go over to find some rest, what he was inviting them to was more discomfort. Jesus invited them to more discomfort, where they were not comfortable, where they were out of their comfort zone. They were out of their element. They were just following Jesus. They didn't know. And then Jesus says, he makes them totally uncomfortable to where they're like, hey, God, do you know what you're doing? Jesus, do you know what you're doing? They're tired. You brought them here to the desert to follow you. You need to send them away. Do you know what you're doing? I 
I know that there's times in my life when I've wondered, God, do you know what you're doing? Sometimes those things are very serious. When you're sick or a loved one is sick, do you know what you're doing? When you're just, maybe you're getting picked on at school. God, do you know what you're doing? Maybe it's those hard relationships we talked about earlier. But to ask the question, do you know what you're doing? Shouldn't you do things this way? I would say this. I think that he invites you into the uncomfortable. Because when you are uncomfortable, you are weak. I know. That might seem like bad news. But like when we're weak, when we're uncomfortable, he is strong. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. When we are weak, he is strong. And more times than not, we see that when we are uncomfortable. He invites us into the uncomfortable. It is an opportunity for him to show up. If we stay in our comfort zone all the time where we're in control of what we're doing and we're never uncomfortable, like, where's the need for him? I think what Jesus shows us here, and he shows us again and again, is we are constantly in a position of needing him. We fake it like we're not. But when we're at our best is when we are in need. And he's showing the disciples that, and he shows us that by how he treats this crowd. They were just people that were in need. And he, he was compassionate in his dealing with them. But it's not just for the crowd. It's not, his compassion is not just for those that are like running around the lake his compassion is not just for those that are running around Asheville, right, trying to find life in all these different places. And his compassion is for them, but he's not just for them. We, are, we, followers of Jesus, are in just as much need of his compassion as anyone else. We are in need of his compassion. For us to have any compassion to give, we need to receive compassion from him first and know that that's the character of God is to be compassionate. So he was. He was compassionate with them. Um, 30, where are we, 37? Um, sorry, I lost my place. There it is. But he, all right, so the disciples said, send him away. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? The disciples were like, we don't have enough to feed. The disciples were like, we need to send them away. And Jesus was like, you give them some to eat. And uh, the disciples were like, what are you talking about, man? I got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't, what's the, 200, uh, one denarii, I don't know if that's how you say that, but we're going to call it that. One denarii is like a day's worth of wages. So it's like... It's over half a year's wages to feed all these people right here. And you want me to give them something to eat? I'd love to challenge you to think of somewhere in your life today where you feel like you're not enough. Where you feel like you don't have enough to handle what's going on. It's not far away, I would bet, in your consciousness. Where's someone in your life where you feel like, I, I don't have enough? The disciples felt the same way. They were, in fact, like, what are we supposed to do, God? 
are you supposed to do, Jesus? Come up with all this money? We don't have this money. You've lost your mind. Then he continues. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. So Jesus, Jesus said to them, tell me what you have. Tell me what you have. Bring, bring that. And they went around and found it. And John it tells us they found it from a, a little boy in the crowd. And he says, he has five loaves of bread and two fish. <laughs> that doesn't seem like much. In fact, that probably seemed like to the disciples like, we don't have we don't have anything. If the disciples are like me, they're beating themselves up right now. <laughs> That's okay. They're, the disciples are beating themselves up right now because God has asked them, hey, do you have any food? And they're probably thinking, oh, God, he's mad. They probably turn to each other like, he's mad. Who was supposed to bring the food? Were you supposed to bring the food? I was supposed to bring the food. You're supposed to have everything. We have everything. We didn't think about this thoroughly enough. We weren't professional enough. We didn't. We don't have our stuff together. Oh, he's got to be so upset with me. Like, dang it, I failed again. But that's not at all what he's saying. 697, correct? I'll get back to it. Here we go. But that's, that's not at all what he's saying. Uh, God is not hindered by your weakness. If you feel like you're not enough, there's nothing you have to offer. God couldn't be pleased with you. How could he love me? If you look at Jesus, you get to know exactly what God is like. As you are, what do you have? When he asks you that question, you might be, when you, how, how would you answer that question? What do you have? What do you have to offer? It sure feels like not enough. But watch what he can do with what you have to offer. Then he commanded the crowd to all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. In another story, it says, not counting the women and children. This story is pretty amazing. All, it's the only story that all four Gospels record. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have the story in there. So Jesus takes the, what they have, and he breaks it, and he prays and blesses it, and puts it in 12 different baskets. And he hands it to them and says, go hand this out to the people. I don't know why he sat them down in hundreds and fifties. I truthfully don't know at all. I think it, that stuff's kind of funny, you know, to think about. why Did that matter that it was 150s? I don't know. But... He handed 12 baskets to the disciples and they walked around and they handed the baskets to the crowd while they passed it around and they picked it up. It's still full. Went to the next crowd and handed the basket to them. And there was, oh, 
this, this thing is staying full. <laughs> you know, and they get it back. And every time, all these different groups, they had to pick the basket back up and take it to the next one. And it was like full every time that they handed it to the next crew. And then at the end, it says they picked up 12 baskets full, even more full than it was when they handed it to them of bread and fish. The crowd saw what happened here, and they were amazed. But remember the beginning when Jesus invited them onto a journey to find rest? It was 12 baskets, one for each of them at the end of the day. For them to stand there holding, they were worried about whether they'd had enough, whether they had prepared, whether they were good enough. But Jesus shows us the heart of God, which is this. He desires to show you how plentiful and bountiful, how much he has for you. He's not limited by your weaknesses and all those little things. But he loves you so much that he wants to show you all of himself. He invites the disciples and he invites me and you into more than you could ever ask for or imagine. There's no way they would have ever, 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 ever come up with what he just did with them and what he just did for them. But Jesus is different. He invites you to throw away some common sense and to start to learn kind of the way God's economy works. By faith. Here's a couple verses I wrote down that remind me of this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still sinners. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. The only place that rest can be found for the disciples, for me, for you, is to be united with the one who's come all the way and put skin on to get onto your turf, into your world, so that you might know that he loves you and know that he knows you and know that you're made to be with him. The only way to find rest for your souls is to know that Jesus came to do more than just for you to know who he is, but he came to die in your place. Not because of anything that you've done, but because you're you and because you are his. God's heart is for you. He wants to show you himself. He wants to show you himself. Jesus is inviting you and me to join with the disciples and find rest in the tireless compassion of God for you, but not only for you, but for the people around you. Maybe you, like the disciples, are looking for rest. 
True rest is found in trusting in the goodness and the love of God for you. And it's nowhere else. There's no bed soft enough. He loves you and he's after you.